I'm Candace Long with Lessons in the Latter Days, offering biblical commentary to make sense of the times that we're living in. Today in Part 4 of The Dangerous Tentacles of Climate Change, I'm going to uncover the seven biblical violations in our global food supply. You know, one of the biggest priorities that this movement has is the concern for food shortages that have come about because of extreme weather. They are assuming the governmental responsibility for feeding everyone on the planet. Now, the traditional thinking goes like this. The nations of the world need food. Some countries produce more food than others, so those need to feed the rest of the world. And as I mentioned in part two, the environmental agenda intends to mandate that wealthy nations give billions of dollars every year to poor countries that have been hurt by climate issues in order to level the playing field. This thinking, however, contradicts three foundational principles in Scripture. In principle number one, the opening verse in Genesis states that the God of Israel is the creator and master of the universe, and we are to have no other God besides him. This is the law of the sovereignty of God. It is he who has the responsibility for caring for his creation, and the scriptures record how personally he cares for those who seek to know him and walk in his ways. It is not up to a global body of nations to manage the world's resources. It is not up to a governmental mandate to take from someone whom God has blessed and give to someone else who has squandered their resources and mistreated its people. God's way is to delegate the resources of the earth to those who steward it with godly wisdom, deal honorably with its people, and become blessings in the earth. Principle number two is that nature is one of the biggest tools that God uses to discipline nations who are not doing right by the land. The biggest example is found in the book of Exodus when God delivered his children out of the midst of a cruel nation, Egypt, which tortured and enslaved God's people. Egypt endured ten horrendous plagues on its land, directed by the finger of God. Not one of those plagues touched his people who lived right next door in Goshen. So God used environmental changes in Egypt to get their attention. And then he taught the world that the God of Israel is above every God and above nature. Now this climate change movement is basically playing God. They're saying, United States, it's not fair that you have all these resources. The data says Somalia has had four consecutive failed rainy seasons. Economic fallout from the pandemic and hardship from the effects of the war in Ukraine. They deserve some of what you have. Now, through a biblical lens, however, Somalia's drought, famine, and poverty are likely directly proportional to the spiritual condition of its leaders, who are known to be corrupt and cruel. This is straight out of the book of Deuteronomy, where the nations who follow God's ways stand out because of its blessings. 
God meant it that way. He wants the nations to see how personally he cares for his people so that they too would come to him. Principle number three concerns the way a nation grows its food, and it is this principle which the United States has failed miserably. This is where I want to spend time today, because the majority of Americans have little understanding as to why God's judgment is coming upon our nation. We need to know what we've done and how much we need to repent. We find the backstory in the book of Daniel, which explains where we are in God's timetable before the day of the Lord. Let me review a moment. In interpreting King Nebuchadnezzar's dream in chapter 2, the prophet Daniel describes the five kingdoms that will rule the world throughout history before the day of the Lord. Now, my research shows that this is just a few years away. History shows that the first four kingdoms have come and gone as Daniel foretold. Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and Rome, the fourth empire that ended in 456 A.D. Now Daniel explains that one final kingdom will emerge right before the day of the Lord. It will be an extension of the Roman Empire, but one that is very different from all of the other kingdoms. It was visually depicted in Nebuchadnezzar's dream by a statue whose two legs were made of iron, representing Rome, and below were two feet whose toes were partly of iron and mixed with clay. These ten toes represent ten kings, or heads of ten kingdoms that comprise this final world power. I believe history will show this kingdom to be the new world order that is coming together now. Daniel describes these leaders as terrible, dreadful, and exceedingly strong. I've discussed in other episodes why this is so, and it has to do with the toes being mixed with iron and clay, because metaphorically speaking, this mixture refers to being genetically mixed. These leaders, or those who controlled them, will be half-human and half-angelic, which was exactly like the Nephilim race in the days of Noah. Now, the reason God destroyed the earth with a flood is found in Genesis. Until Noah, the people of earth had no agricultural instruments. The earth had brought forth thorns and thistles when man sowed wheat as a consequence of God cursing the ground after Adam's fall. Noah was a picture of a godly worker of the ground using instruments that God taught him how to make in order to properly manage the cultivation of crops. The ancient book of Jasher records that the people living on earth at the time of Noah all turned away from the Lord. Jasher writes, quote, They corrupted the earth, they robbed and plundered each other, and they rebelled against God, and they transgressed, unquote. The Lord was furious. Jasher writes that God began destroying the seeds in those days, meaning that the Lord disrupted their agricultural system and their food supply. This gives us an important lesson. 
God destroys the seed and food supply when the majority of a nation turns from him. Later, in Genesis 6, we find why God brought the flood upon the earth. It reads, And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. Pay special attention to this last phrase. It says, All flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. Let's look at each word. All, as in all flesh, means every. This wasn't a small percentage of people. Whatever this corruption was during the days of Noah, it involved everyone. Next is the word corrupt. The Hebrew means to decay or destroy. So what was destroyed? Many Bible translations say all flesh corrupted their way, but this is a mistranslation. The Hebrew pronoun is not the word there. The phrase should read, all flesh corrupted his way, meaning God's way. Everything was corrupted, not just the genetic human race itself, which produced the race known as the Nephilim, but animal life was corrupted too by breeding one animal with another to produce hybrids, as well as mixing and corrupting the seeds which formed the basis of their food supply. In Noah's day, the leaders of that time opened a door that could never be closed, and what they released was so terrible God was forced to destroy the earth. That same door has been opened now. The door the United States has opened is creating genetically modified foods. If you've never thought about it from this perspective, a GMO, a genetically modified organism, is a combination of something God made and man engineered. It is a biblical concept known as mixed seed, and it is abhorrent to God and a total disregard for the laws, statutes, ordinances, and precepts that God set up in caring for the earth. I want you to hear the seven laws that we have violated by opening this door. Violation number one is the law of the seed. I have an entire episode on this teaching, but the bottom line here is that every seed in its original form was created with three basic parts. Number one is a seed coat that protects it from the elements. Number two, the fleshy tissue that provides the nutrients needed to sustain that seed's growth. And number three is the embryo that contains the genetic material of what that seed is to be. As an example, a corn seed does not have an identity crisis within itself. It was created, purposed, and destined to be corn. Its identity is set and established. Inside that seed, there is an inherent peace and rest because it knows what it is. To physically insert a DNA strand from another species into that corn seed is a whole other offense to God because this process is not gentle. 
On a cellular and biochemical level, scientists basically bombard or force this strand from one organism into the unsuspecting wall of a separate organism that God created, which is a cellular form of rape. This inhuman practice, I believe, could be the root cause why we are seeing increased numbers of rape and assault cases every year. What we have done to God's creation is now being done unto us. We reap what we sow. Violation number two is the law of the kind. This basic agricultural principle is found in Genesis when Moses wrote the phrase, according to its kind, 17 times in seven verses. This is significant. God instructed everything to multiply according to its kind. Honoring the kind is a principle we've not only ignored, but we've tried to destroy. The Hebrew word for kind means to portion out as a species. God had a set assignment for everything by way of an amount and an apportioning in order to balance the needs of nature that he established. Violation number three is the law of the purity of the kind. God requires that everything be pure with no defilement. Every seed was to be without blemish, and defiled seeds were to be destroyed. Every kind was created to feed, instruct, benefit, and nurture his creation. Violation number four is the law forbidding the mixing of kinds. In Deuteronomy and Leviticus, we read what God thinks about mixing DNA. He says, you shall not sow your vineyard with two kinds of seed, and you shall not let your cattle breed with a different kind. God is a purist. Just as each of us is unique, each kind has its own light, purity, understanding, and purpose. Violation number five involves the kosher laws, which would include eating GMO foods. God was very particular about what his children ate. The kosher laws are probably one of the most misunderstood spiritual laws that God outlined in his word. But sadly, in our day, unless we have a plot of ground and grow our own food, the reality is that most of us are forced to eat whatever is in the stores, and most of that food has been genetically modified. Now, you might say, well, I didn't start this GMO problem, so I have to eat whatever they sell in the stores. Surely God understands that. No big deal. I believe that to God this is a big deal and will have negative consequences. You see, our country is far from being the victim of this GMO craze. On the contrary, we are the leading GMO food producer in the world. If God has an issue with mixing seeds, then we should be quaking in our boots because we are complicit in exporting genetically modified foods to billions of people. Do you think God won't hold us accountable for that?
Violation number six is a subtle law that concerns multinational food distributors. I want you to think about this. We have given over our supply chain to multinational food distributors who bring in food from God knows what country, whose ground may have been dedicated to various gods. Now, you may laugh at this, but many scriptural passages warn against his people eating food coming from countries who worship other gods. And violation number seven is the law against eating food sacrificed to idols. Now, many Christians believe that once you say a blessing over the food, automatically that food is cleansed. But I want you to consider this true story from Bible teacher and minister Miriam Hellman from her book, God and the Gods. Quote, A few years ago, I was ministering in Madurai, one of India's temple cities. Having been there four or five times in the past, I had never noticed anything unusual. On this particular visit, however, something seemed strange. I did not know what the strange thing was, but I was keenly aware of its presence. We stayed in a lovely hotel overlooking the city, but there was something very unusual about the food we were served. It tasted strange, and you felt strange after eating it. One day, a Christian lady came to see us at our hotel. We invited her to stay for lunch, and no sooner had she eaten one morsel of the food when I mentioned to her, I don't know why, but there seems to be something different about this food. And she replied immediately, Oh my, we are eating food that has been sacrificed to the gods. What do you mean, I asked. I I thought that when the Apostle Paul taught not to eat food sacrificed to idols, he meant that a Christian should not allow pagans to believe there was any validity to their superstitions when they offered something to a demon or said a prayer over their food. But through this experience, I learned this is not what Paul meant at all. Heathen sacrifices, in reality, are sacrificed to actual spirits. Paul was, in fact, substantiating the reality of the presence of demons and warning Christians not to participate with them by eating the food offered to them. The Indian Christians explained that real spirit beings come and physically partake of all of the nutrients and sustenance in the food. They literally suck out all of its beneficial properties and leave the food void of all taste and nutrition. Unquote. Now, along with this story, I want you to consider the rebukes that Jesus gave to two of the seven churches in the book of Revelation. Two of them. To the church at Pergamum, which had sincere believers in it, he says, I know where you dwell where Satan's throne is. But you have some there who put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel that they might eat food sacrificed to idols. And to the church at Thyatira, his rebuke was the toleration of the woman Jezebel who beguiles my servants to eat food sacrificed to idols. Now this was a last day's danger that our Lord was exposing. Please consider this. If we are importing food from countries whose land is dedicated to other gods, 
then we are participants in violating this spiritual law by eating food sacrificed to demons. Now, this may sound harsh and very narrow, but I remind you that the enemy is subtle and he seeks to compromise God's children with things that defile us. The other huge door we have opened is producing new races and species through genetic engineering of living organisms. Now, that's for another topic and another day, but what I want you to see here is the door that opened first was what we did to our food supply. When Jesus said in Matthew 24, as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Those days were just like ours. The entire culture involved mixed seed. It was the order of the day. One plant species mixed with another. One kind of animal bred with another, producing all kinds of hybrids. Angels with women producing a whole other race. There was nothing sacred, no boundaries respected among kind or species. Now, such genetic chaos goes against something very precious to God. The prophet Malachi wrote, Has not the one God made and sustained for us the spirit of life? And what does he desire? Godly offspring. He desires his children to produce and multiply with godly seed, a race called the children of God. That's what makes this genetic strategy of mixed seed so insidious. Satan not only set about to create his own seed, but to infect and pollute ours. One way he is doing that is by financially rewarding those who are involved in setting up a global food supply involving genetically modified foods and bringing in food from nations whose God is not the Lord. When the Lord gave instructions to Adam and Eve on how to sustain themselves, he showed them a forbidden tree and said, Of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall die. Now, we have typically understood this verse to mean that when Adam and Eve ate the forbidden fruit, sin entered the world. But I want you to consider a secondary meaning. The phrase, in the day you eat of it, could refer to a future time period characterized by man being totally nourished and sustained by something forbidden. The Lord could well be saying here that in that time period, mankind will die. Jesus said in Matthew 7, A sound tree cannot bear evil fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Our Lord is saying that it is not possible to have soundness and unsoundness in a single tree, for a God-made tree is inherently good. Now, once again, it is the mixture that is the problem. So could it be that God was showing us all the way back in Genesis that the generation that nurtures itself by food that has been genetically altered 
is the generation about to perish? These truly are the days of Noah. If you'd like to read more about the doors that we have opened by these biblical violations, I want to refer you to my monograph called Mixed Seed. It goes much deeper into this issue, and it explains what we can do about it. I'll put a link to it in the notes to this episode. I want to thank you for spending time with me today. If you'd like to share this episode, you'll find it on my podcast page at candislong.com slash podcasts. I hope you join me again next time for Lessons in the Latter Days. God bless.